0: So, Jesus, on the cross, you paid it all for us. So help us to lift your cross high, lift your name high in a way that makes you look good and in a way that changes us and sets us free. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, one of the things that I had to study when I was in seminary is what's called the Westminster Catechism of Faith. It was written in the 16th century. 40s, kind of as a way to train kids what it meant to be a Christian, sort of a 17th century flannel board kind of thing. And it's in a question and answer format, and the first question is, what is the chief end of man? Answer, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, I always liked the part about enjoying God forever, that sounded good, but what does it mean to glorify Him? What does that mean? well let me translate that into twenty first century american to glorify god means to live in a way that makes him look good to glorify god means to live in a way that makes him look good and that is what the third commandment is all about do not misuse the name of god or for some of us if you went to sunday school you learned it this way do not take the lord's name in vain exactly now What most folks think this command is about is swearing. That is like 1% of this command. To say that this command is about not swearing is like changing planes in O'Hare and saying you've been to Chicago without even seeing a Cubs game, okay? You've missed, like, the really important bit. Now, for some of you who are sitting there going, oh, no, this is going to be a sermon on cleaning up my language, and that was a problem for you, this might come as a relief, right? Oh, good. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family and around, uh, around friends and family where swearing was an art form, literally. I mean, to, to quote the movie A Christmas Story, I have relatives who work in profanity the way other artists work in oil or watercolor, it's their true medium. I mean, and as a student of language, I was always fascinated, it's like, wow, you use that as a gerund. I, who would have? I never would have imagined that it could go that way, right? And I have had to work hard to unlearn all of those words. And I have been 100% successful. <laughs> oh, you don't believe me? This summer, a friend uh, took my 10-year-old daughter to a musical called Annie, Get Your Gun. And there was a little off-color uh, words there. Not, I mean, it's Annie, Get Your Gun, so it was pretty mild. But on the way home, the friend said, oh, sorry, Holly, about those bad words. And Holly said, that's OK. I've heard those words at home. And then she said, it's unnerving. (laughs) Now, we should absolutely never use God's name or Jesus' name as profanity. That is sin. That is disrespectful. And there's no good reason to use any other profanity as well. Although I've got to say, in both the Old Testament prophets and the Apostle Paul, both use words in some of their passages that I cannot repeat in church because they're not church words even though they're in the Bible, which always seems ironic. But I am not advocating swearing. It's impolite. However, this commandment is about way more than that. What does it mean to do something in vain? It means to do it to no effect, right? He fought in vain. He studied in vain. He still got an F. I preached in vain. They forgot everything I said, for instance. (laughs) Do not take the Lord's name in vain means don't take it on to no effect. Don't take on the name Christian in a way that makes God look bad or turns people off to him. The Hebrew word used here means do not use God's name in a way that is empty, trivial, or false. That's what the Hebrew word means. Empty, trivial, or false. Let me take those briefly one at a time. Trivial. When we who take on the name Christian get hung up on trivial matters, not central to the gospel, how should we baptize people? Should we dunk them? Should we sprinkle them? Should we fire hose them? Whatever, right? <laughs> what kind of music should we have in church? Rock and roll, organ, ukulele? You know, how should we dress in church? It is okay to have our preferences about those things, but if we get hung up on those things, we're focused on things the Bible doesn't care about, and we make Jesus look trivial. How about empty? Empty. Well, we make Jesus, who is God in the flesh, look empty when we who take on the name Christian do it in a way where there's no real relationship with Jesus behind it. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' commentary on the Ten Commandments. And in it, he says this, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. That is, there are people whose theology is just right. They're doing a lot of church-related activities, prophesying, driving out demons, serving on committees, driving demons out of committees. <laughs> right? Some people have that spiritual gift. But Jesus says, I don't know you because he doesn't have a relationship with those people. Maybe they're doing it because they think they have to or to impress someone or to earn approval but without close relationship with Jesus. That's taking on his name in a way that is empty. Because, you see, the reason he gives us his name is so that we can have a relationship with him. That's what name meant back then. Back in the Bible, a name was more than just a label. It, it was supposed to sum up the character, the essence, kind of what is true about a person. I got an email a while back from some folks who were trying to come up with a nickname for me to distinguish me from all the other Scots we have on staff, right? Right? There's one sitting behind me. So they tried Scott the Greater, the Great Scott. But what they landed on was the Duds, which I sort of like. It's kind of cool in a nerdy kind of a way, right? The, the Duds, the Reverend Dr. Duds or whatever, you know. But the one that I personally think sums up my essence the most is my email address. S. Dudley, which, if you say it really fast, sounds like (laughs) Studley. I would like to think that that sums up the je ne sais quoi that is moi. (laughs) I'd like to think that, anyway. Well, that's sort of how names were used in biblical times, stretching it, I know. But it said something about what was supposed to be the essence of the person, the character of the person so when God gives the Israelites his personal name it is more than a label it is an invitation to relationship and to take on the name Christian and just go through the motions without that relationship is to make it empty trivial empty and finally false how do we make God look false how do we take his name on in a way that makes him look false well when we misrepresent who God really is I've had people say to me God told me to have an affair because I'm unhappy in my marriage. No, he didn't. No, I think I... No, you didn't. No. Right? Yes, God speaks to us directly. Absolutely. But if what we hear him say does not line up with scripture, we did not hear that from God. We heard it from the other guy. As a college pastor, I knew several guys who would... No lie. They would say to women, God told me that we should go out. Okay, that is the lamest pickup line ever. (laughs) Blame it on God, right? I mean, come on. And it misrepresents God, especially when months later they would say, God told me we should break up. (laughs) Please. right? We make God look false when we use religious language to justify behaviors that are not from God, that are not truly godly, that he does not condone. A great example would be, for instance, religious wars. That makes God look false. Not who he really is. And that breaks God's heart. You know why? because it hurts people two kinds of people it hurts other people but it also hurts us remember the Ten Commandments start with God saying I am the God who took you out of slavery they are given right after he gets the Israelites out of slavery they are given in other words as a sign of freedom there are ten ways to be free ten ways to thrive ten ways not to go back into slavery through God's power but if we misrepresent who God is then we set up impediments to other people knowing him and ourselves to knowing his liberating love. So God is protective of his name. Now, the folks who really get that these days are corporations, right? If I were to brew up the nastiest tasting coffee ever and call it Starbucks, they wouldn't be happy because I'd be misrepresenting their product. Or if I were to create the lamest search engine ever and call it Google, well, some of you who work at Microsoft would be thrilled, but... Google wouldn't be, right, because it would misrepresent who they are. Or, for instance, if we were to call what we experienced here in Seattle in June, July, and August, summer, <laughs> that would misrepresent the word summer, wouldn't it? <clears throat> so it's similar with God. When we misrepresent who He really is, we turn people off to Him. And so they don't know His love, and they don't know His power to set Him free. But that doesn't just hurt other people it also also hurts us. Here is the truth. Our lives will be only as big as our God is. Our lives will be only as big as our God is. And if we shrink our God down in our minds to the trivialities of churchianity, then our lives are going to be trivial. Or if we say we're Christian but empty of real relationship with Jesus and just go through the motions without experiencing his power, then our lives are going to be empty. And that breaks God's heart because he loves us. Okay, that's the bad news. What's the good news? Because here's the thing you got to understand about these Ten Commandments. This is very important to understanding the heart of the Ten Commandments. For every thou shalt not, there is a corresponding thou shalt. Key principle in understanding the Ten Commandments. For every do not do, there's a go out and do that is positive. For every prohibition, there's a grand positive. So what is the positive? in these commands. Two things. First, thou shalt use the name of God well. You have the privilege of using the name of God well. You can speak the name of God. The reason God delivered the Israelites from slavery was he wanted relationship with them and with us. That's why he gave them his name, Yahweh, in the Old Testament, which means I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. But God up to himself. He came himself in the person of Jesus, entered our world as Jesus. He has given us his name, his first name even, Jesus. We are on a first-name basis with the God of the universe. It is an invitation to relationship. And when we pray to God through Jesus, not mindless rote prayers, but as I've said in the past, picture him sitting next to you because he is. Keep your eyes open and just talk to him. Jesus grants us access into the presence of God. And I've talked in many sermons in the past about how we can experience God's presence. His name is an invitation to know him. And then the second positive in this command is that we get to be God's representatives in the world, his ambassadors. We get to go out into the world and show what God is really like to a world that doesn't really understand him. The word for this is called evangelism which simply means sharing the good news of Jesus with other folks. Now, I know that word, it conjures up all these horrible images, right, of pushy, obnoxious Christians grabbing people on street corners. Have you heard the good news? You're going to hell, man, right? (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what evangelism is. Here's what evangelism really is. Evangelism is living in a way that makes Jesus look good. Evangelism is living in a way that shows others the power of Jesus to heal and to save and to transform. And this is the heart of the third command. Do not misuse God's name. Do not misrepresent him. Instead, represent him well. So that folks can know him and so that you can have a bigger God so you have a bigger life. And this is so important, folks, because there's some things only Jesus can do. There's some things only Jesus can do. I heard a former Hezbollah member tell a story. And someday I'll tell you the whole story because it's amazing. But he told a story about how Jesus began to come to him in his dreams. And that made him feel forgiven and loved. And out of that, he became a Christian. And now he is working for peace in the Middle East. Okay, that's what Jesus can do. Turn a terrorist into a loving, forgiving man. Our you know, government can't do that. Our skills can't do that. Jesus can do that. And that's why it's so important to let people know what he's really like. Not the misperceptions, not the stereotypes, not the media images. Who is Jesus really? That's what we get to do. We get to be his name bearers into the world. And this is so important because there's a battle going on out there for hearts and minds and souls. And the devil is doing damage, marriages are falling apart. Folks are lonely. Teenagers are committing suicide. People are trapped in poverty. Kids as young as 13 are having, are having sex, and they're never going to be the same again. But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus can heal all of that. Amen. Thank you. This week I heard a pastor, a pastor tell a story about how she had these neighbors, and she was just sure they wouldn't be interested in Jesus, right? But one day she was out planting flowers, and her neighbor came over and said, Would you like to come to church with us? Okay, this woman's a pastor, right? And the neighbor went on to talk about how the year before, she and her husband had gone through this terrible time in their marriage. They tried everything they could try. Nothing fixed it. In desperation, they opened the phone book, flipped through the yellow pages, found a church, started going, discovered Jesus, felt his love and forgiveness, which helped them love and forgive each other, and now their marriage is healed. And so this neighbor was asking this woman, who's a pastor, would you like to go to our church with me? Okay, that's just embarrassing. (laughs) How many folks in our sphere of influence are we assuming are not interested in Jesus when actually they're dying to know him because only he can set them free? And they just need someone to tell them. But not in a pushy, obnoxious way, all right? Someone sent me a story Uh, this summer about two Christians who were going door-to-door, handing out religious tracts. And they got to one house, and it was cold outside, so the man invited them in, and they all sat down, and then there was this silence, and the man said, well, what's next? And the two Christian guys looked at each other and said, we don't know, we've never made it this far before. (laughs) That's kind of the image, right? Nobody wants to hear us talk about Jesus Well, if you do it right, they actually do want to hear you talk about Jesus. And it's way easier and it's way more natural than you think. I talked about this last spring. Let me quickly review what I said. To tell people about Jesus, we do four things. We serve them. Folks don't care what you know until they know that you care. And if we serve others in Jesus' name, we represent him well. Good deeds leads to goodwill, which opens hearts to hear the good news about Jesus. We serve Him. Second, we show who Jesus is just out of the stuff of everyday life. Last spring I told you a story about having a conversation with my neighbor who was going through a hard time and in the conversation I just ended up casually saying, you know, this is when I face a hard time like this, this is where I really gotta lean into Jesus. And that he started asking questions that led to this great conversation, ended with me praying for him. It wasn't awkward. It wasn't offensive. He was very grateful. He felt cared for. He hugged me afterwards. It was this kind of hallmark moment. It was awesome, right? And it just came as this natural result of the conversation. I didn't have to force it. Now, he didn't fall down on his knees and beg to be baptized, but, you know, we took a step, which brings me to the third point. We do those two things and then we leave the rest up to the Holy Spirit. It is not our job to convert anyone. You don't have to convert anyone. Here's the good news. That's above your pay grade. (laughs) Okay? Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. A witness in a court is simply someone who says, here's what I heard, here's what I saw. Who makes up the decision then? The jury, right? We are his witnesses, but too often we try to be judge, jury, and prosecuting attorney all rolled up into one. We just need to say, here's what Jesus has done for me. And then let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Okay, you don't have to close the deal. And then finally, we have to speak the name of Jesus. Not God, because in our culture, God can mean anything, the great whatever, right? We have to start calling him by his first name, Jesus. You don't have to force it, but when there's a natural opportunity. Now, we all have... Opportunities to do this every day in our schools, in our offices, in our neighborhoods. But this fall, we also have a special opportunity. November 5th, 6th, and 7th, something called the Harvest Crusade come into town. speaker named Greg Laurie has a great story of how Jesus changed his life, who will be talking about Jesus in a way that is geared for people who have never been to church. Think of him as a postmodern Billy Graham. Now, you may think, oh, nobody becomes Christians in those things. Thousands do. So if there's someone you know in your family, your office, who's maybe asking some questions and you don't quite know how to answer them, maybe you've been praying for someone, easy opportunity for you to say, will you come to me with this thing? And you don't have to buy what he's selling, just want you to listen, right? I'd also encourage you to start praying, now, Lord, who would you like me to bring to this thing? A great way to live out the heart of the third commandment, which is to represent Jesus well. Also, for you men starting on October 12th and for the next four Tuesdays after that, 6.30 to 8 o'clock in the morning at Overlake Christian Church. There'll be a series called Man Up and Share Your Faith. Nationally known speaker. One is actually a comedian. It'll be very funny. Talk about how to talk about Jesus in a natural way. So I encourage you men to be there. No charge, but for planning purposes, please sign up uh, in, the, in the lobby today t- to learn to share the name of Jesus well. For the sake of others but for yourselves, for myself. Because when we show people Jesus, here's what happens. We change lives, our God gets bigger, which means our lives get bigger. Christina had a friend who had a very low paying job. And her parents lived back east and she wanted to visit them but she had just enough money for the bus ticket. But when she was in the bus station, she saw $20 down on the ground. So she, after asking around, it didn't belong to anyone, so she took it. And she said, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, I'm broke, and you're providing for my needs. And just as she was praying, thank you, Jesus, this homeless couple comes up and asks for some money, right, which kind of annoyed Christina's friend. She's like, I need the $20. But she kind of felt Jesus nudging her, you know, that kind of annoying nudge that Jesus sometimes does. So she grudgingly said to this couple, okay, I'm going to give this to you, but if I do, you're going to know why. And then she went on to tell him about Jesus. And she didn't even do a very good job. She was kind of grouchy about it, you know. And then at the end, she said, so I think Jesus wants me to give you this $20. She gave it to him. She gave them her address and said, write to me, let me know what's going on, and I'll pray for you. So opened up a kind of relationship. Well, a little while later, you know where this is going, Right? she gets this letter from this couple who wrote her and said that was the most important moment in our whole life that twenty dollars got us to where our relatives lived and they helped us get our life back on track but more than that they wanted to know who this jesus was that would convince her to give them twenty dollars so they went to church became christian eventually found jobs their marriage improved They were able to get rid of some dysfunctional behaviors that were holding them down through the power of Jesus, and now they had all this joy because of Jesus. She gave them cash plus something eternal. She served them. She used the name of Jesus. She did it out of the stuff of everyday life, and she let the Holy Spirit do the rest. And for her, this was a thrill. She's still telling this story decades later. It was a thrill. She heard Jesus speak to her directly, which was cool. And she saw the power of Jesus to transform lives, which was amazing. But more than that, she got to be part of it, which made Jesus seem bigger, which made her faith seem bigger, which made her life get bigger. Now, I know, I know, I, I give these sermons on Thursday mornings to to a group of people who critique it before I give it on Sundays, and a couple of them said, oh, that just sounds like such a church story. You know, I know, I know, it's just the kind of, you know, so nice kind of story, so cliche, so pat, so true, okay? It really happened because evangelism is way easier than we think it is. It can be very natural. And sometimes it happens in relationship over the course of years. Sometimes it happens faster than that. But this is what is at the heart of the third commandment. Do not misrepresent God. Instead, represent him well. And he will do amazing things, and we will get to be part of it, and our lives will get bigger. Because, you see, there's power in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we can make the wounded whole. In the name of Jesus, we can set the captives free. In the name of Jesus, we can proclaim good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed. In the name of Jesus, we can boldly approach the throne of God, unafraid, unashamed, because Jesus has wiped our sins clean in his name. In the name of Jesus, marriages are healed, terrorists are turned into peace workers, families that have been torn apart are bound back together. And one day, Scripture says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the name of Jesus, the devil quakes, demons flee, darkness turns to light morning turns to dancing and sorrow turns to joy because in the words of the old hymn there is power power wonder working power in the name of Jesus so use it bold use it loud use it well and you will set people free including yourself so Jesus help us to speak your name well help us to show who you really are To a world who has all kinds of stereotypes about who you really are, help us to be your true representatives and say, you have heard it said that Jesus is like this, but I tell you, he's like this. Help us to be those people so that we can see you do miracles in others' lives and in ours as well. We ask this in your name. Amen.